Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess, and profess. You'll meet people you wouldn't normally meet, but will be glad you did. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts and see how these 21st century explorers are changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, one interview at a time. Ah, the sweet sound and smell of coffee being ground at a cafe. Now, I hate to bring the mood down, but we humans have a bad habit of creating waste and clogging up the planet. For example, experts are trying to help us break the plastic bags habit. In fact, several councils in Australia and all over the world have already banned them. And since we're in a cafe, if you thought your disposable coffee cup was recyclable, think again. There's a reason why we need more keep cup use. Wouter Portinga is a professor of environmental psychology at the Welsh School of Architecture and the School of Psychology at Cardiff University. Professor Portinga is visiting the University of Melbourne to talk plastic bag charges, habit disruption and spillover effects. He describes himself as... Uh, I'm an environmental psychologist. What I would like to see is that we just have uh, the same society as we have now but with far less waste. So to see... Uh, where we can reduce waste where possible without affecting people, their lifestyle in a very direct way. Steve Grimwade is our reporter today. He's out to explore the terrain where architecture, the environment and psychology collide. He met with Wouter for a coffee and I've loaned him my keep cup, especially for the occasion. I'm interested in the idea that there's an intersection between architecture and psychology. Yeah. But I don't know necessarily what it means at that intersection. Can you can you describe it further? Well, the the idea behind environmental psychology is is that the environment matters for who we are and what we do. So, if you're looking at a, a particular building, the way it is built, the way it is designed, will determine how we feel, but also how we behave. And was your background? Are you an architect by trade? Are you a psychologist? Um, I'm a psychologist by training, but I also did environmental sciences. So I combined psychology with environmental studies. So when people think of environmental psychology, what do they think you do? Are there misconceptions or misapprehensions about what you do? Uh, where well, there's always misconceptions when you say that you're doing psychology. So. When you say you're a psychologist, you, they always think you can see what people are thinking. And it's not a kind of psychology that, that I do. So I'm looking at, you know, the uh, role of the environment uh, both ways, actually. So, so how does the environment, you know, determine, you know, how we feel, how we think, but also what we do, how we behave, how does that impact on the environment? What was it as, a, as either a student or as an early researcher that actually led to your interest? Or was it earlier? Was there a, a person, a book, a happening? Um, I still remember very clearly when I made a decision that I wanted to be an environment psychologist. And it was a old professor, so it was Charles Flack, uh, who had a course on environment and behavior. And it was the first time that I thought, well, actually, I can do something useful with psychology. I can apply it and I can make a difference in the world. 
Nice work, Professor. Now, we've all had lecturers and professors in our past who have inspired us. Clearly, Vauter is no exception. Thanks to Charles Flack and all the other inspirational educators everywhere. We do pay attention and we love your work. And I'm sure any of the psychologists out there will not take offence that you can now actually <laughs> apply that to the world. I'm sure they do too. If you, if you went back to Charles Flack's time yeah. um, and you thought about where you are now, what changes have been occurring in the field over that period? Um, the field has grown much, much bigger than it was then in the mid-1990s. So in the mid-1990s, there were only a few environmental psychologists uh, at a time. Uh, now there's a very big community in the Netherlands, in Germany, in Sweden, but also here in uh, Australia. So it's an established field now. It also sounds, if you're talking about the 1990s, that it still gives you an uh, the opportunity to be a pioneer. Is that true? I have to say that at the time I did feel like a pioneer. So it is perhaps not as Charles Flack or the people I was working with. You know, they were at it, you know, before uh, I was, I was their student. Uh, but, but, you know, it felt new and it felt exciting. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 it felt like pioneering. Yeah. And what areas now are still open that haven't been discovered yet? Are, are there areas that you can see that we need to open the door on? I would say how psychology in general and environmental psychology in particular needs to change is to take account of other disciplines that also have something to say about human environment interactions. And I'm thinking about sociology, for example, or geography or political sciences or environmental studies. So, you know, um, try to collaborate more with other disciplines to, you know, help make this a better world. So the word multidisciplinary isn't a word of the past. It is still necessary. It, it, it is still very much the future. So there is multidisciplinary, but interdisciplinary uh, research is still far away. So, And I think we need to make much more of an effort to achieve that. Let's um, talk a little bit about uh, your recent research uh, from Wales, England and across the UK on the success of the introduction of a charge on plastic yeah. bags. I mean, those bags previously given to consumers free at retail outlets the world over. Yeah. I guess I'm going to open the door to what did the research tell you? Um, the research shows that it works. That is in End very, of interview. We're yeah, done now. <laughs> that's it. No, it, it, it was hugely successful. So um, it was introduced over the past five years. So Wales was the first country in the UK that introduced it in 2011, followed by Northern Ireland in 2013, Scotland in 2014, and England was the final country to introduce it in 2015. And in all four countries, you saw a reduction of plastic bag usage between 70 and 90%. So it's very, very successful. And the extraordinary figures, and I'm, I'm going to ask you just a very out there question. Can you actually give me the volume of plastic we're talking about? Uh, we're talking about uh, 80 million bags a year in UK supermarkets alone before the charge was introduced. And I think, if I'm correct, that 70,000 tons a year. It's extraordinary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean and and sorry, I want to be flippant and laugh and say, Oh, think of all the the you know, the dolphins saved, etc. But yeah. you know what? It's it's not something to be flippant about because these bags I expect and I don't know, but I expect they end up you know outdoors 
in 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 uh, you know in the environment in some yeah. in some way. Yeah. So so th- there's two ways of looking at you know plastic bags. So first of all, is it a waste issue? Yeah, it is a waste issue, but it won't save our problems with household waste. So we're producing much much more. So if you're looking at the overall amount of waste, plastic bags only constitutes about one percent. Yeah. So a plastic bag charge won't solve that. So we need to do much much more. But there's also the littering aspect of it. So a lot of plastic bags, they end up in the environment and they can either block, you know, drains or, or, or things like that, or they can strangle wildlife. And that is the big issue. So given that we're talking about 1% of, of, of the waste problem, how does this research or how can you see this research translating into other areas? I think what's important about the plastic bag charge is that it has shown that it works. Yeah, so only a charge of five pence can reduce plastic bag usage between 80 and 90%. Yeah, and that's only five, five pence. So perhaps we should do this with other, you know, waste sources as well. You know, something like uh, coffee cups or uh, plastic water bottles or packaging or anything like that. So I see it as a start and I would like to see much, much more. Actually, I'll come back to coffee cups, but I'm interested in, in some of your research which said the greatest thing that this did was that it changed behavior, and it changed behavior incredibly quickly. Yeah. Within a month, yeah. I think, uh, it, the percentage of people that were prepared to actually use a, a non-disposable bag jumped, yeah. or acceptance of the scheme jumped within a month of usage, yeah. and people were very supportive of this environmental measure as well as others. Is yeah. that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct, yeah. So the change was almost you know, overnight, uh, and the reason why it happens is because it's very easy to adapt to. It's not a big change to bring your own bag to the supermarket. It's just you have to remember it. And some people had a bit of trouble with that in the first few weeks. But, you know, it's very easy to do. And once you've got it ingrained in your daily routine, you know, uh, you'll forget about it. It's, It's, you know, you've adapted to it. Do you think there's a contextual difference in what you can do to achieve change with plastic bags versus coffee cups? Because if I... I have to now bring a coffee cup from my work to the cafe or I have one on me at all times, whereas with a plastic bag, I can have a a non-disposable bag in my car at all times. Mm. Well, first of all, the important thing with coffee cups is is that, you know, it's made of paper. So a lot of people think you can recycle coffee cups, but you can't. Oh, God. (laughs) I've done so much damage to the environment already. Sorry. So, 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 you know, there's wax or it's, it's, you know, there's a little line of plastic. So you can't recycle. It's very difficult to recycle uh, to separate those different materials. So I think there should be much more awareness that uh, it's actually not a good option. The question of yours, I think the context is very, very different. So the five-pen chart worked really well with plastic bags, but that is because you can adapt to it quite quite easily. You can bring your own bag, but not a lot of people have their coffee cup with them. Yeah, so it, it, it will constitute a much, much bigger change. So I don't think a charge will necessarily work as well with coffee cups as it did with plastic bags. Were, were there any particular surprises in your research that stood out for you? Well, uh, we already talked about it, so we were surprised by the change, how rapid the change was. So it was almost overnight that it worked. So we were quite surprised by that. We we thought people would adapt more slowly to it. Uh, there were several reasons uh, f- for that, because we thought it wouldn't be as su- successful in England as it was in Wales and, and Scotland, for example. But what we were also um, surprised about, pleasantly surprised about, is that the plastic bag charge made 
people think about waste much more. So it was like a catalyst to think about waste and recycling. Well said, Professor. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? These measures can be a catalyst to get us thinking about the way we live our lives and the changes we can make in our daily or weekly routines to make a difference. Do you think your work and your research is values-driven and or politicised in any way? This research could be politicised as any research on the environment. We try to take a, a value-free position as possible. So what we wanted to show with this research was whether it works or not and how does it work. So that was why we set up the research. Yeah, so it wasn't a, a, a advocacy research or anything like that. No, we wanted to see whether it worked or not. Can I ask you a question on politics then? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, what, what do you think, in your experience in the UK, what were the barriers to actually putting a charge on, on plastic bags? Because I guess they are, or well, I, I foresee them as being political. Yeah. Well, th- there was surprisingly little opposition to the charge. So when it was introduced in Wales in 2011 a majority was already in favor of the charge, you know, of the general public. So about 50% was in support of the plastic bag charge. It was the same in England when it was introduced in 2015. Also, retailers were quite positive about the charge. So there wasn't a lot of opposition from retailers that were against the charge. So, you know, you both had a public and retailers on the same side. So in that sense, it wasn't that politicized and it was relatively easy to introduce. Much of your work seems to look into how we change habits. Indeed, uh, you've written previously, uh, research has shown that habits can override the best of our intentions. Yeah. How hard is it to break habits? And how can our environments or changes to our environment make it easier to forge new habits? I would say it's both easy and difficult to change habits. So as we've shown with this research, only five pence can change a habit of bringing, uh, you know, taking a plastic bag from the till at a supermarket. But other behaviors or other habits like driving to work in your car, they are much, much difficult to address. But other research has shown that, you know, when you move house, for example, you know, when you disrupt the context where in which you perform the behavior, you can break that habit. And that's also what colleagues of mine have shown at Bath University. If you're looking at uh, people, you know, for transport choices, a lot of people, they drive to, to work. And even if they're, you know, willing to change their behavior, you know, they are stuck in this routine of driving from work. You, you get up, you get in your car and you drive to work. So there's a mismatch between, you know, uh, your values and your behavior. When you move house, you can reconsider your, your behavior or your daily routine. So you can see that when people move house, that they also change their habits. So the people who are more environmentally concerned, they change, they tend to change their behavior at the moment they change house. I mean, your, your, your research, look, it provides insights uh, to behavior change that's useful for, for policymakers, for program designers and advocacy groups. Yeah. I mean, going forward, what do you want to activate in society? What I can see in society at the moment is that we're producing an awful lot of waste that, in my view, is not necessary. So what I would like to see is that we just have uh, the same society as we have now, but with far less waste. So try to cut out the waste wherever possible. And I think that is also something that I would like to do you know, in the next five years with my research. So to see... Uh, where we can reduce waste where possible without affecting people there 
you know, lifestyle in a very um, direct way. Look, finally, I'm interested to know what was some good advice that you were given early on and, and what's some advice that you like to pass on to other students and researchers? What I always find important in research is try to engage with people, talk to them. Yeah, don't just do research in the lab, but talk to people. You know, try to understand uh, people, their day-to-day lives and find out why people behave in a certain way. So if you talk to people directly, you can often see why people react as they do. Professor Walter Portinger, it's been a delight to talk to you. Uh, Thanks for visiting Australia, and we look forward to uh, seeing the rest of your work in years to come. Well, thanks very much. There goes the professor, saving the world one Hessian bag and a keep cup at a time. Thanks to Walter Portinger, Professor of Environmental Psychology at the Welsh School of Architecture and School of Psychology at Cardiff University. And thanks to our reporter on the ground, Steve Grimwade. I'm happy to say he is a keep cup convert. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights is a production of the University of Melbourne, Australia. This episode was recorded on February the 8th, 2017. Recorded by Gavin Neighbour, co-production by Andy Horvath. Production assistance by Claudia Hooper and Cecilia Robinson. I'm Chris Hatzis, producer and editor. Join me again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.